Welcome to the Insurgents Podcast with Frank Viola. And he's brought a friend. This is the podcast that supplements Frank's groundbreaking book, Insurgents, Reclaiming the Gospel of the Kingdom, which is shaking up the Christian world. You can find out details about the book at insurgents.org. Sit back, open all four ears, physical and spiritual, and join the insurgents. Here's Frank. Welcome to another edition of the Insurgents Podcast. I am with my conversational partner, Nikki V. How are you doing today, Nikki? I am doing awesome. Thank you, Frank. So today we're going to talk about this business of waiting on God as it relates to living in the kingdom. There is a passage in the New Testament, in the Gospels, Mark 15, 43, and it describes Joseph of Arimathea, who was an honorable counselor who also waited for the kingdom of God. And he's the one that asked for the body of Jesus, boldly from Pilate, waiting for the kingdom of God. And so we know and I bring this out in several chapters in the book Insurgents, that the kingdom of God has two aspects. The kingdom is today, but it's also tomorrow. It's already, but it's not yet. It's here, and yet it is to come. And these two aspects, the past and the present of the kingdom, come into play when we talk about this subject of waiting on the Lord, which is a vast subject in the Bible. Old Testament, especially, as well as the New Testament. We, as God's people, are exhorted over and over and over again to wait on the Lord. And, of course, there's that famous passage in Isaiah, those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. So I see two aspects to this. There is the waiting for the kingdom of God, which maps to the passage I just read in the Gospels. And that's referring to the future manifestation of the fullness of the kingdom. And in that sense, all of us are waiting And we're like creation in Romans 8, waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God to come to pass. That's our hope. That's what we look forward to while we sojourn on earth. We're waiting for that future manifestation of the kingdom. But we're also waiting. We also wait for the kingdom to come now with respect to Jesus revealing and expressing his will in our life manifesting his ruling presence in our life in a situation when we're praying for the Lord to do something according to his will and then there is that period of time where we wait for it to happen and I think Nick this is probably one of the most difficult things um, speaking personally is to wait on the Lord to act when I've asked him to do something particularly if it's a difficult situation that I'm in or that I'm facing waiting for him to move. Sometimes it seems like he's so busy answering the prayers of other people who are in line way ahead of me that I'm waiting for him to get to my prayer. It's it's very trying on the human soul. It's very difficult. Yet there is embedded within that a work that God is doing, a work that God is aiming at in the waiting. Uh, Just a couple points um, to kick this off. One is, if we get impatient while we're waiting on the Lord to manifest his will in our life in a given area or answer a prayer 
we're in, we've asked them to move, and we are now in the waiting line, so to speak. If we are impatient, that shows that we're not trusting God. Impatience equals lack of trust in God. If we are trusting God, we will have patience to wait on him. We will have what scripture talks about using the term endurance, which is also translated patience. So we read this in a previous podcast in James 1 verse 2. Count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. And patience it has the opportunity to grow when we are waiting on the Lord. And listen to verse 4. But let patience have its perfect work. That's a beautiful sentence. Endurance, let it have its perfect work, that you may be perfect, mature, and complete, lacking nothing. Hmm. The other point I want to make about waiting on the Lord, which again is all over Scripture, when we're exhorted to wait on the Lord, it's not a passive waiting. It's not like you've been selected to jury duty and now you're spending five hours waiting to get an answer as to whether you've been selected or not. And so you're just sitting there in remote anguish, (laughs) waiting for the verdict to come down. Waiting on the Lord, I believe, Nikki, is something that's much more active. Yes, I totally agree with that. Yeah, it's not this passive (laughs) sitting by and waiting as we would wait in line for a Disney World ride. There is an interesting fact when it comes to the word wait in the Old Testament. The Hebrew word wait in the Old Testament actually means to bind together, perhaps by twisting. So when we wait on the Lord, we're not just sitting around twiddling our thumbs, watching the time go by. We are binding ourselves to the Lord. We're drawing close to him. This is a period where we are to pursue him as we wait on him. And the fruit therein is this endurance, this patience. I think that's the only way we're going to renew our strength is to draw close to him, who is real strength. So I think that puts a different spin on it. And ultimately, what the Lord is wanting to do in our life is to transform us into the image of Christ. And I think the only way that that can happen, one of the only ways it can happen, is when God puts us in situations where we have to wait. And for us as Americans and for us who are leaders, those of us who are maybe type A personalities by nature, one of the hardest things to do in life is to wait. We don't wait for anything. (laughs) We We have microwave ovens. We have all these technologies to actually eliminate waiting. But in God's purpose, when it comes to what he's after, the microwave oven is what we want, but he's actually putting us in the crock pot, which takes a lot longer. But in the end, it tastes so much better. And that's what we have to keep our eyes focused on as we wait on the Lord. What say you? Yeah, I, I mean, I totally agree with that, right? The microwave is to heat up unreal ingredients in the in the first place right the crock pot is where the real deal gets put in and it tastes infinitely better but yeah again just kind of jumping in the middle here and grabbing at a few things that you said i think one of the mistakes we make is that we equate waiting with like utter and total passivity 
Right. And while that may be true in, in matters of this world, you know, if I'm standing in line at the post office, I may be utterly and totally passive, although my mind certainly isn't. But waiting on the Lord is not a passive activity. It's, it's actually, even though it's subterranean, it's quite active. And, and I would take this all the way back to the very beginning of the Bible in Genesis 1-1, where we see before the actual physical speaking of the creation into existence, mm. we see the, the spirit brooding, mm. which is a form of waiting. Mm. It's, it's doing some kind of, you, you mentioned that Hebrew definition a few minutes ago of a binding together. There's some kind of waiting slash activity slash waiting going on. Mm. To the external eye, it might appear to be an inactive, passive waiting, but it's actually in a very active kind of waiting. And I think when we're in that prostrate position before the Lord, and I'm not even talking about physically prostrate, I'm talking about an internal prostration before the Lord, mm. that's an active waiting going on. Somebody once said this, God is faithful, but often slow by our measuring Yes. We don't want a slow God. We want a fast fix. And you can just triple that notion if you're talking about a Western Christian. But remember, when you're waiting, you're not doing nothing. You're do actually doing something. You're allowing your soul to grow up, or what Peter referred to as the process of the salvation of the soul. And waiting seems to be an absolutely critical ingredient to becoming one who can persevere, to becoming one who can endure. You don't get endurance and perseverance without a whole lot of waiting. That's right. Um, I think in our, in our culture, we view things like perseverance and endurance as very active, and I need to go out there and take the bull by the horns, and I'm going to endure, and I'm going to persevere by grabbing a hold of and doing something about this. But in the upside-down kingdom of God, it's the exact opposite, that we are waiting before the Lord. And through that waiting, which sometimes can be excruciating, absolutely, in both endurance and patience is being formed within us. And I was thinking about 1 Corinthians 13, where Paul says that love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things and endures all things. Mm, endures all things. And of course, 1 Corinthians 13 is a description of Jesus Christ. It's not some abstract definition of love. Yeah. He is literally giving us a description of the composite makeup mm. of who love himself is. You don't just magically become endurant and perseverant you become that way because you have had to actively wait actively on the wait. Lord. That's right. That's, and I think Peter is one of the guys who's extremely clear on this topic about waiting on the Lord and what it produces in us. You know, My son was in the Marine Corps, and their slogan, he spent many of his four years in the Marine Corps waiting in line. He used to tell me that the, the slogan in the Marine Corps was, hurry up and wait. So, hmm. but I will tell you something about that. And this is just on a purely terrestrial plane here. When he came back to our family after four years in the Marine Corps, 
he was able to sit through things with an endurance. So even on a natural level, all that waiting that he did actually produced an ability to sit through certain very boring, mundane things in this life without getting fidgety, without getting frustrated, and all yes. those other things. So, I mean, this really actually even has, a, I suppose, a natural counterpart to it. But in the divine sense, it's, it's profound. Well, it reminds me of Romans 5, where Paul is talking about tribulations. In verse 3, says, not only that, but we also glory in tribulations or trials, mm -hmm. knowing that tribulation produces perseverance or endurance, another word for it, or right. patience, right. and perseverance, character, and character, hope, and hope does not disappoint. It's as if waiting is the pressure cooker of God to mold us and shape us into conformity with Jesus. And without that waiting period, we just live life in a hurry, like most people do, at least in the West. And hurry is the enemy of God. Because when we're in a hurry, we're not present. We're not living in the present. We're either living in the future or the past. And we're letting the present moments go by and God is in the present. That's where he is. His presence is in the present. And uh, as we talked about in another podcast that I did with Jeffrey, another episode, we talked about letting the game come to you. This is part of the waiting period because in the waiting period, one of the things that we're tested on is whether or not we're going to put our hands on the situation, whatever it is, to try to make it go quicker. And when we do that, we're chasing the game and we're prone to make major mistakes. In fact, I think it's a guarantee we're going to make major mistakes. And we are hindering God from doing what he is doing both in us and in the situation. You know, it's like we're intercepting the Lord himself. And very often, Nick, I think you probably would agree with this, is that often the outcome of what we're waiting on is directly tied into whether or not we're allowing God to do that inner work in us during the waiting period. If we're trying to hurry it or we're trying to make it go faster, then we're actually producing or we're laying the track to see an outcome that's going to be against the will of God. But if we allow that patience to have its perfect work, as James says, we allow the Lord to do that interior work in us through the waiting, right, then he will bring the outcome to pass the way he wants, whatever that is. Right. We may not know what that is. We often don't know. And that's another subject being outcome independent, which is which is huge when it comes to this waiting period. But you had a, an illustration, too, from sports, I think, when it comes to this yeah, business yeah. of letting the game come to you instead of chasing the game or trying to push or trying to put pressure on a situation or maybe a person to make an outcome happen quicker than it's supposed to. Yeah, I do have an illustration. And before I share that, as you were sharing, I was thinking of the uh, immortal words of one of the great Floridians, Tom Petty. Tom Petty. Who said, the way 18 is the hardest the part. The waiting, yes. And Thank he you, was absolutely correct in that uh, observation. Um, but yeah, coming back to the sports analogy... So I, I'm a big golf fan. I don't have a lot of time or money to actually golf these days, but I, I did golf for, for 
quite a bit for a period of my life and I watch a lot of golf and in golf if somebody's behind in a tournament and they're running out of holes they can start to press to try to make birdies happen and birdies are what you want in golf it helps it's what helps lower your score and when a guy usually starts pressing to try to force birdies on a hole and you know golf's interesting because each hole is different and there's different terrain and different landscape to each hole and there are different hazards at each hole and usually when you start to press to try to make something happen you wind up in one of those hazards mm. and it just makes playing that hole more difficult and more likely to make your score go up whereas if you as you use the phrase let the game come to you in this case let the golf course come to you and let it dictate mm. what's happening and you play the hand that you're given on each hole magically surprisingly birdie opportunities will present themselves and then you can take advantage of those and inevitably you score much better in golf when you allow the course to kind of dictate what's happening rather than try to impose your will on the terrain of the golf course so just another analogy from sports that seems to you know frequently be true is to let it that game come to you and play it out I think another thing about waiting is it's humbling. Mm. Um, our desire, our fallen nature wants to be God. In other words, we're, yes. we're dictating not only the outcomes of things, of circumstances and situations in our life or other people's lives even, but we're dictating the time frame of the outcomes. We're dictating the details. We want to write the whole script. When you fall into the hands of the living God and you're in a situation that you don't have any control over and you don't have control over the timing, you don't have control over the outcome, there's a humiliation that goes on in, into, the, into the natural man on that. And if he will bow and yield and break, which waiting does, um, then something really beautiful happens. And you, you do start to pick up these traits of endurance, you know, all these things that belong to Jesus. And I was thinking also of, I borrowed this one from, from Jesus Christ himself. You know, when a seed falls into the earth, mm. it looks highly inactive and is to some degree. But what's happening in that waiting is there's a breaking coming to that seed in that darkness. That's very good. And... You can't get to the desired result of what you want to get from that seed, whether it's an ear of corn or a, an orange tree that's eventually going to produce oranges or whatever it is that the, the life that's in that seed and the fruit that you're hoping to, to gain from that seed requires what looks like from the human vantage point inactivity or passivity. But there's all sorts of activity going on. There's watering. Water is coming down through the earth to that seed. Um, that seed is being broken open. The, the hull, the husk is breaking so that life within it can come forth. But, you know, you don't plant a seed and then, and then the next day you're eating corn. It doesn't work that way at all, ever. And when you start, when you're able to create and shortcut and short circumvent the waiting... You know, especially like we're talking about an analogy of food, you start coming up with things like frankenfoods, things that are modified in some way and, are, and turn out to be rather toxic to your body. So waiting is written into the laws of the universe and, and it's written into the divine workings of God in our lives. And we would do well to get mm. comfortable 
with that notion. We can eagerly wait. It's not that we just have to wait passively. We can be eager about our waiting. We can be anticipation, you know, anticipating mm. in our waiting. Mm. But there is the waiting that does have to go on, and it is extremely difficult for most of us. Mm. One of the things that I've learned in recent days is that certainty really doesn't exist. And I'm not talking on a philosophical level or a theological level. I'm not talking about, you know, are you certain that Jesus is the Son of God? I'm talking about in terms of life. We have a mutual friend that's his wife is pregnant and a child is going to be coming into the world. There is no way to be certain when that child will be born, how that child will be born, the health of the child, the health of the mother, etc. When it comes down to it, the Correct. only thing that we can control is ourselves. We really can't yes. control anybody else. We can't control outcomes. And when we try to control outcomes, I have learned this from personal experience, we tend to mess things up. We tend to get in God's way. And so I think part of what waiting is, is to strip us from that need to try to control outcomes and to detach ourselves from outcomes and even to be comfortable living with uncertainty. Yeah. And we're talking about raw bedrock trust in God. And I think waiting is that it's that crockpot effect that God is putting us in that cooker to bring out some wonderful values. And I, I was just thinking about this recently when it comes to this business of conformity to Jesus Christ. There's so many things about Jesus, his personality. We talked about joy as being one of his, his attributes or his mood, right? He's certainly the embodiment of love. Everything he did was out of love. Love for his father and love for others. He was compassionate. He was merciful. He's meek, which is strength under control. But when I think about the Lord these days, his disposition, I think of five things. One, he's calm. This is a person who is relaxed in virtually every condition, even, even difficult situations. Like a storm hitting the boat and he's sleeping. But he is calm. He has this calm energy. If Jesus was with us in the flesh in person, we would see, we would behold, we would experience a man who had this incredible, almost like a mountain lion this calm energy and it didn't matter if the house was falling apart or bombs were going off he still would be calm well, the waves rattle. were crashing into the into boat, the boat. He was still yeah. asleep and, and water <laughs> splashing on him so he is calm he is relaxed you can't rattle him right all right so that's one the second one is he's controlled and so we do see jesus at times expressing passion being intense right? His little temple tantrum in Jerusalem, you know, when he's overthrowing tables. I mean, you can say, well, he's not calm there. All right. But he's controlled. Right. He doesn't give full vent to his anger, as Proverbs says, which is destructive. He's controlled. Right. So even beyond that intensity, and even, you know, if you peel back the passion, when he is passionate, right, you still see a calmness. Always in possession of himself. Absolutely. Yeah. The other thing is, he is contented. And we're going to talk about contentment in a future episode. But he's content. You know, e even when he's frustrated with his disciples, and you do see 
expressions of human frustration in Jesus. How long must I endure you? <laughs> How long must I endure you? Have I not been with you so long, Philip? Oh, ye little right? faiths. Yeah, and he, you know, you do see he gets frustrated, but again, he's overall contented. He's not discontented. So that's the third thing. And then the other thing is he's confident. This is a man who is extremely confident. Mm, yes. And there's no insecurity in him. Yeah. And he's not jealous of other people. He's not insecure. He's not needy. He's confident. He's in command. In every situation, he is the one in the room who knows what he's doing. And he knows he knows what he's doing. This confidence causes other people around him to be at rest and at ease. Also, his calmness does that too. An observation I'll make is that Jesus was not confident in himself. He was confident in his Father. But when you're confident in God, when a person is confident in God, they look like they're confident in themselves. They yeah. look like they're self-confident. Yes. That's what it looks like yeah. in the outward. But in the inward, they're totally relying on a God who is greater than them to the point where they're extremely confident in all circumstances. And then the last one is he was clear. He was clear about his mission. He wasn't wishy-washy. He wasn't unsure. He was absolutely clear on his non-negotiables, what he was here to do. He was laser-focused on it. And that's another part of his disposition. So we have calm, controlled, contented, and we have confident, we have clear. I believe that what the Lord is after when he makes us wait is to produce those five things in us. Will we reflect Jesus Christ in all of those ways? When people get around us, they feel like they're with the Lord. Or they feel like this is someone who's been with Jesus, which I just quoted the book of Acts, right? Because that's what they emit. That's what his presence emits. That calm, confident clarity, that contentedness, that controlled energy comes from Christ himself. And I think the only way that that can be transmitted to us and infused into us as his followers is if God puts us in the pressure cooker of waiting and we learn endurance and we learn patience and we learn perseverance. I think that's the fruit of it. Yeah, amen Amen to all of that. That's, that's really good. None of us, even if we wait a whole lifetime for something, will still have waited as long as God himself has been waiting for so many things. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've ever thought about this before, but you know, after, after Adam and Eve fell and the Lord promised that there was going to be redemption and that he was, there was going to be a, a Messiah, you know, and well, why didn't he just, why, why wasn't there a Messiah then yeah. and, and redeem fallen humanity when fallen humanity consisted of two people hmm. and just bring redemption to the whole thing right then and there. And you see, I mean, if you look at the narrative of, of, of the Old Testament, there is God waiting for humanity to reach certain points where he can interact and interject and insert different aspects of his strategy and his plan to bring redemption to the human race. And you see him waiting, waiting, waiting so many times. And, and the same thing, you know, even in the Gospels in the New Testament. Jesus Christ was about 30 years old when he started his ministry. He had 30 years of waiting. And actually, if we want to say it more accurately, he had eternity 
plus 30 years of preparation time Mm. and 36 months of actual activity and ministry. There was a lot of activity going on in eternity past and also in his first 30 earthly years. Mm. We get some snapshots of those 30 years. We don't get nearly as much as we're curious to know, but... Mm. But there's preparation going on there in what looks like, from an external point of view, there's no activity. So, I mean, when when God's got us in a waiting, holding pattern in some, some issue in life that we want resolved immediately, he is not putting us in anything that he himself yes. has not previously and is currently. Yes. I mean, when Jesus died and resurrected... And the church was born. There was the beginning of his bride. Yes. Right? So now we're 1,900 plus years removed from the initial appearance of his bride in reality. Not just as joy set before him. But there she is. She actually exists now. And so why not sweep her up and collect her and go off and live happily ever after. And here we are 1900 plus years later and he's still having to wait for his own marriage feast. Yeah, no, that's... And I was thinking as we're sticking with our food motif here, when you are marinating a piece of meat, Mm. it looks like it's just sitting there in in a Mm. pan full of whatever you're marinating, you know, the marinade that you're using. But man, there's a lot of activity going on. That that marinade is penetrating that meat and breaking things down in that meat that are not going to be pleasant to chew on if you rush ahead and just cook that piece of meat. So if you marinate it, it just looks from the outward eye like it's just sitting there in a pan of, you know, it looks completely inactive. But there are multitudes of chemical reactions going on with that marinade and that meat. And then as you wait and let it do that, and then you cook it, when you go to put that in your mouth, it tastes vastly superior to yes. then if you had just Perfect. hurried up yeah. and cooked it. So, you know, there's yeah. there's a marination that goes on in our lives and in our hearts and in our spirits. And, and we have a tendency to view this as a negative thing that's going on when what's really happening is that God is preparing something incredibly tasty uh something that is going to bring delight mm. to his to his heart and we're we're a That's part right. of that so there's there's really never non-activity going on even though from the externals it can look that way yeah. um i was also thinking of a guy that we all know who did not do that great of a job of waiting on a promise that god had guaranteed him his name was abraham yes and um, he, he kind of grew weary of waiting on a promise that the Lord had made to him and took the bull by the horns and took matters into his own hands and wound up with an Ishmael. That's right. And I can't tell you how many Ishmaels I've had plaguing me in my life because I didn't Amen. fully wait on the Lord for him to bring his end. You know, there's, there's lots of ways that if we don't wait on the Lord, we are creating incredible complications right. on our, in our life on a practical level. That's right. And really just delaying the Lord's perfect will or That's even right. a promise that he's made to us. Mm. Um, and it is, it is all wrapped up in the waiting. James 5, 7, Therefore be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. 
See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, hmm. waiting right. patiently for it until it receives the early and latter rain. You also be patient. Establish your hearts. There's so much in both Old and New Testament about waiting on the Lord, and it seems to be one of the chief strategies that God uses to produce the character of Jesus in our lives. It makes waiting take on a totally new dimension, that we're being put in this training camp, as it were, for the Lord to not only bring about the outcome that he wants, but to, in effect, work in us in the interior aspects of our life to get at things that he would not be able to get at otherwise. Right. And I think of Joseph as being a, a great example mm -hmm. of waiting. God gives Joseph the promise of what his destiny will be early on. But the roller coaster ride that he has to endure to go through that, to get to that point, it takes so long and it has so many twists and turns to it. And thankfully, Joseph, you know, he did really well in terms of waiting on the Lord and enduring. And I think you had an analogy once we were talking and you used this imagery of the roller coaster, the end, and then how to get there. Do you remember what you said about that? Uh, well, I do remember saying strap on your seatbelt um, because there's going to be a lot of twists and turns, outrageous twists and turns. Yes, yes, for sure. And ascensions and drops declines and we, and we can't even see them and a lot of them you can't even see or you can't tell what's ahead it's not like in a in a roller coaster in a theme park where you can actually take in the whole thing from yeah. start to finish it doesn't work that way in the kingdom you only get to see about two feet in front of you of your roller That's coaster right. typically so you don't know when, maybe more like Space Mountain in, in Disney World where it's all in the dark. So you don't actually see when, <laughs> when the, drops, the drops are coming and when the left turns are coming or the right turns and, and all of that. So yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. I think there's another element in the waiting that I don't know if you want to open this up right now. But something that I have referred to and, and written about as the divine question mark, which only makes its appearance in the waiting that's right when we're when we're in that incubator and that adds another twist or another element i think one of the things that can make waiting excruciating for us is that not just that we don't want to wait for a particular outcome but sometimes in the midst of that waiting and i'm sure joseph must have gone through that with his incredibly outrageous situation mm -hmm. what i call the divine question mark creeps in and the divine question mark actually has you not questioning only the timing of when the wait will be over, but can also make you question what the actual outcome is going to be because an awful lot happens in that waiting period. When the question mark enters the picture of, is this actually going to end the way God promised at the beginning or even before the beginning trial began, that adds a whole nother element and an important element i think because then your reliance and trust on god moves to a whole nother level and i don't think that jesus was excluded from what i refer to as the divine question mark and when he was hanging on the cross he was fully god and fully man but as fully man then he was going to have to touch the totality of the human experience which for us includes that divine question mark of 
are you actually going to follow through with this, Father? Then Jesus had to touch that himself. And I think at that moment when he uttered those words, Father, Father, why have you forsaken me? He was touching the divine question mark of, am I actually going to be raised from the dead? That divine question mark, Frank, is another element of the waiting period that can can make the agony exquisite. And it is another element of trust that the Father mm. asks us to, I don't want to say exercise, it's almost even outside of our abilities, but that we, we, we recognize that mm. the question mark has entered. And is the Lord actually going to rescue me from this? Is the Lord actually going to deliver? Is yes. the Lord going to do it? Yes. That is also in the waiting period Absolutely. many, many times for us. And there is a profound element of transformation that comes when we touch that dark, yes. dark place. Well, this is why the temptation to try to engineer an outcome or manipulate an outcome or force an outcome is so alluring. It's because if we're not totally trusting and relying and leaning on the Lord for the outcome that he wants and expecting him to actually do that, then we're put in that situation where it's very compelling to try to force the outcome we want. Right. That's why I said at the front that if we're impatient, it shows we're not trusting the Lord. And if we're patient, it indicates we are putting our trust in the Lord. Some of what you said reminded me of Psalm 91. He that dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Mm, yes. And that whole psalm is talking about God coming in and delivering us from all sorts of hazards. But then he ends it with a word about why he's doing that. And I'm going to read from a little booklet by T. Austin Sparks called Abide Under the Shadow of the Almighty, because I think it's fitting what he says here regarding this whole situation of waiting. Because he has set his love upon me. And this is what the Lord says in that psalm, why he's going to come through and deliver and bring salvation. He has set his love upon me, not upon the deliverance, not upon the vindication, not upon the salvation, but he set his love yes, upon yes. me. He had to wait. He had to keep on setting his love right through to Calvary and wait. He's talking about Jesus. The Lord says to us, you have got to abide in the secret place. That is your business. So that's the uh, binding ourselves together with the Lord. There are troubles all around you. You cannot deal with them. But you keep close to me, and I will deal with them. Keep mm. close to me, and I will deliver you from all the temptations. Are you pained and troubled because you do not see? You must be patient. You must set your love upon me. You must be governed, guided, moved from your pathway by what is seen. Whether good or apparently evil, you must abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Mm. But they are always, as it were, some resurrection that emerges out of a crucifixion, some divine reward for sustaining faithfulness. Your Father who sees in secret shall reward you openly. Matthew 6, 4, 6, and 18. Wow. My supreme and only task is to keep close to the Father in secret, and He will reward in due time, in due time, 
in due time, that's a word you find in the New Testament mm-hmm. quite often, yeah. he will reward me openly. Let us seek grace then to abide in the secret place with him. So in the waiting, we draw close to the Lord. We bind ourselves to him. We abide in the secret place under the shadow of the Almighty. Well, thanks for listening again, and we will see you in the next episode. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the Insurgents Podcast and give it a five-star review on iTunes. This will help others find it. Also, you can join Frank's unfiltered email list at frankviola.org and receive encouragement, challenges, and insights connected to the gospel of the kingdom. Remember, the insurgence has begun. Don't miss it.